Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We have completed the mini-series titled, Elijah, a Man of Conviction, and today we have a one-lesson special which class teacher Doug Brady has titled, A Prophecy Fulfilled in Our Lifetime. In these perilous days, With so many things happening around us in government, in families, in churches, in every aspect of life, we feel strongly the possibility of the rapture of the church being just around the corner, any day, any hour. Doug presents one special prophecy found in Romans chapter 1 that has already been fulfilled and is a good starting point for understanding prophecy and the soon return of Jesus as he calls his children home. It is called the rapture, and it could even happen today. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in LaVorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. We invite and welcome visitors to our class as we study the scriptures. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin, so let's go into the classroom of the Believer's Bible class and find a good seat while opening our Bible to Romans chapter 1. Here now is our longtime friend, Doug Brady. Do you remember when we were studying Elijah, we realized that when he first went into the palace to talk to Ahab and Jezebel and tell them it's not going to rain, was it because he had received a direct word from God to go say that? No, it wasn't. Where did he get it? Deuteronomy 11, verses 13. It was a prophecy of God that he was simply repeating. Now, before we read it, let's pray, and you're going to see it. Dear Father, thank you. For the time that we can spend today, I pray that you will help me to speak your truth in love. You know, for me, Father, I don't have as much trouble speaking the truth. It's the love part. But I pray, Father, that you will help me and enable me to do that because your Holy Spirit is living inside of me. And may he be doing the talking and not me. Help us to understand the importance of what we're talking about today. Help us to realize the situation that we are in and the prophecy that has been fulfilled in our very lifetimes. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, look what it says. Deuteronomy 11. And it shall come about. If you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give you the rain for your land in its season and the early and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. 
And he will give grass in the fields, in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Then beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. That was the basis of Elijah's proclamation in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. We'll look at it in a second. But here's the question to start with. Is that passage that we just read a prophecy? Well, to be able to accurately answer that question, don't we need to make sure we understand what a prophecy is? Jerry, do we have a definition? It's a statement that says what is going to happen in the future especially one that is based on what you believe about a particular matter rather than existing facts. Now, of course, to God, there is no belief about what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. One of those two things or both of them in Deuteronomy chapter 11 were going to happen. Did he know that there would come a time when Israel would turn away from God and worship other gods? Yes, he knew that. He made this promise. It's a prophecy. Did we see that prophecy fulfilled in Elijah's day? Exactly. Elijah spoke from the authority of God's word. Not a special revelation to him. The authority of God's word. And didn't it describe exactly the situation in Elijah's lifetime? Yes, it did. You look and see what he said to them. That's... If you want, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Then Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, if that is a prophecy, what is in Deuteronomy 11, and I believe that it is, then I want to direct you this morning to a similar prophecy. It's not a prophecy made to Israel. It's a prophecy made to us. And I want to show you that it has been fulfilled in our lifetimes. If you look at the period from 1950 to the present, this prophecy has been fulfilled. Let me ask you a question. Have you any, ever heard somebody say, God has got to bring judgment in our nation really soon, or he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah? The premise of that statement is false. God has brought judgment on our nation. Really? Really? Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. We're going to read the whole passage first so that we get a good feel for it, and then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack it. And I'm going to show you what's going on because there's some things in there that I didn't understand about it until I started studying it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. For even though we knew, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped uh, and served the creature uh, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman burning in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, Untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. That is awfully strong. I want us to see it. We're going to break it down. Now, can we go through everything in this passage today? No. If I was going to do that effectively, everything, we'd be here three or four weeks. But what I want is the key things to lead us to understand what needs to be done. Because we need to understand what needs to be done. That is what is so important today. Starting in Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We've got a number of businessmen in this class. But I, I'm going to just use one as an example. And I'm going to use him as an example because he would never do some of these things unless it was highly, highly motivated. Sidney, does your husband lose his temper often? No, he doesn't. But Neil's a businessman. Could you imagine he goes into his business on Tuesday morning and he says, everybody meet in the meeting room. And the first thing he says... I'm mad as heck, and this is going to stop. What's the first thing everybody would want to know? What's the this? Well, I want you to see, if you look at this verse, the first thing God says in this prophecy is, I am mad. Some, uh, my translation uses wrath to try and bring out the extremeness of it. Some translate it rage which is maybe even a stronger word than anger or wrath. You can see these words in your notes, and this word, orge, we got our word orgy from it. It speaks of how God responds to these things. God starts this prophecy saying, and I hope this doesn't bother any of you, I'm mad as hell because of the hell you're practicing. Now, that's serious. Very serious. You're right. Now... 
It speaks in general terms in my translation. And I always thought it had just general terms. Because what does it say? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. Well, that sounds pretty general to me, does it not to you? Does that, is there anything bad that's not included in those two terms? That's not what it's talking about. Look at your notes. I want you to see these words for just a second. First one I want you to see was revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed. That's the same word that's the title of the book of Revelation. It's an unveiling. He's saying, I'm revealing to you how I'm feeling right now, and it's not good for you. Now, let me just say, if there's any question in your mind, God is talking to us. And you're going to see it because it's going to be confirmed on the rest of this passage. But understand from the very start, God is talking to us. Who do I mean us? I mean USA, American people. That's who he's talking to. And he comes in and he's going to say it. Next, ungodliness. That seems general to me. What it really means is a statement or actions or way of living that is without reverence towards God. Refusing to reverence Almighty God. That's what he's saying. I'm mad because of this. But there's something else that goes with it. What's the next thing he said? Besides ungodliness, he uses unrighteousness. That's too general, a translation. If you look at this word, atekie, dikaya, it means injustice. The injustice of a judge. So what he's saying is this. Injustice of a judge. Unrighteousness, injustice. Have we, as a nation, lacked in reverence towards God... And have injustices been committed? And for what purpose was were those justices committed? Injustices committed. Look at this passage. What does it say? It says, because unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What has happened? Well, you have to take justice and see if it's failing to reference God and is then being used to suppress the truth. Right? All right. 1962. Engel versus Vitale. The Supreme Court ruled that school-sponsored prayer in public schools violated the established cause of the First Amendment. Prayer in God is thrown out of our schools. 1963. Abington School District versus Shemp. Bible reading in schools is determined to be unconstitutional. 1973, the life that God created and he said is sanctified to me, I'm going to allow human beings to snuff out in the decision of Roe versus Wade, 1973, right down the street from us, that decision was made and a mother is allowed to kill her baby. And finally in 1980, the very law of God was attacked in the case of Stone versus Graham, when the Ten Commandments were ordered removed from the school in Kentucky and everywhere else. And it is this type of judicial malfeasance which has drawn the wrath of Almighty God. Where were God's people when these decisions were being made? Asleep is the correct answer. Which brings us to verse 21. 
And even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, futile means to make empty. And speculations is a thinking of a man. That's all it is. The thinking of a man became empty. Why? Because they allowed this judicial malfeasance to suppress the truth of God. Not only did their thinking become empty, their foolish heart was darkened. What does it mean to be darkened? It means to be covered with darkness so that you can't see. What is the main thing about darkness? Lack of sight. You need light to see. Some amount of light. This is darkness. Complete darkness. Now, I want you to notice something. This verb, darkened, is passive. Who was being darkened? The men and the women of this country. Who then was the who was making that action of darkening? God was. God was directly. Have we not heard from the 50s through the 70s? God's dead. God's dead. What does the Bible say about that in Psalms? The fool says God's dead. Matches with this passage. What the problem is, for man to say that, they have to know that somehow we came into existence... And there's got to be some explanation. Charles Darwin gave them that uh, explanation, as bogus as it is, and they took it and accepted it. Sometimes you look at it now with real scientists and they say, how can anybody really believe this? It's not because it's believable, because it meets their ends of saying there is no God. And so that is where we as a nation have gone what starts this downward spiral then is when people demonstrate a failure to revere the one true God and through the means of injustice, they suppress the truth. That's the way it started. Moreover, the evidence in favor of the respect due Him is seen in the creation we can all view, Paul says. There is no other reasonable conclusion to make except that it came through an intelligent design. If you look at our nature carefully, you look at space, you look at cells, you look at anything in between, and these purveyors of irreverence and injustice are without any excuse. And yet they cling to a preposterous theory of evolution in order to escape the reality of intelligent design and the recognition that they are creatures and not the highest order of life. As a result of their election, not to honor God, with reverential respect, that he was doing a number of results have been manifest. Their thinking has been empty or futile. Their heart is darkened so they can't perceive the truth. They profess themselves to be wise, and yet, in fact, they're fools. And they began to worship the creature rather than the creator. You say, oh, we don't do that. Have you ever heard of humanism? What is humanism? The man is center. Human beings are the top order of everything in the universe. Also, there's something I don't know if you've heard about, but that we have been 
subtly conditioned for since Walt Disney. It's called the Gaia cult or the Gaia hypothesis. And basically, the easiest way to understand it is who is the one we should reverence the most? Mother Earth. Exactly. And do you see not only these cartoons and movies of Disney that started, how about Avatar? Anybody in here see Avatar? What was it like? What was it about? Mother Earth. Gaia. Now, some of us would say, well, you shouldn't watch those things. How are you going to know about what's being happened to these other people unless somebody is able to understand it? And so we need to see that, which brings us to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, gave, over, gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Now, that should be bone-chilling statement when you see God gave them over. We usually read that and think, he's talking about someone else. He is not. He is talking about us. God gave them over. Now, what is it saying he gave them over for? What he gave them over to is heterosexual immorality. Now, I hate to admit this, but one of the things that I would do as a child, uh, I would leave the apartment in which I lived, and I would go next door to the apartment of my grandparents. There were two things there that I was not allowed to do as much in my house. One was to drink Coca-Cola, and the other was to watch TV. But at first, I didn't like it because the only thing they watched was soap operas. And they were addicted to soap operas. But I guess I felt some TV is better than no TV. And as I looked back on that, I began to see something subtle. In those soap operas, you know what is commonplace? Adultery or fornication. Now, just so we know the difference, fornication is sex before marriage. Adultery is sex where one of the parties has already been married. Now, I know when I mention those, those terms, sometimes people cringe. I do. But it's painful when it happens to you. Now, the thing is, in the 60s, what was the mantra we kept hearing? Free love. Make love, not war. And what happened in the 50s, in those soap operas and other things like that, germinated into full wickedness in the 60s and the 70s. As there's nothing wrong. You ought to go to San Francisco. Put some flowers in your hair. <laughs> it's all great over there, free love. And now we see what San Francisco's like today as a result. But the fact is, this is what is saying he gave them over. And what, did, what was the result? It dishonored their bodies. You know, I will never forget this example that a guy I went to during college, and he, what he did, he wanted to demonstrate what sexual immorality is going to do to you. And he asked, he took a little quick election, 
And, and they select, the group selected a couple that everybody knew was a couple and they've been together for a long time. And he said, now I want you to come up here and sit down. And he gave her a tin of pink Play-Doh. And he gave him a tin of uh, blue Play-Doh. And he said, I want you to share with each other. So you give him half of your pink play and you give him half of the blue. And so they did. They said, now I want you to try and make something. Each of you make something out of that. And, they, you know, they worked it in a second. And, you know, they're mixing it around and everything. And he said, oh, okay, now give her back her pink. I, what do you mean give her back her pink? Well, while he's doing that, you give him back your blue. And he said, that's the way it is. You've now got her in you, and you can't ever separate it. And she now has you in her, and she can't ever separate it. That's part of the dishonor from what God wants. Now, does God ever forgive? Of course he does. Does God ever restore? Of course he does. But only when you turn to him in confession and repentance. And has our nation turned to him in confession and repentance? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And as a result, we see these things like unwanted pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, families breaking up over and over and over. So what do we do? We try to find a solution for the symptoms as opposed to dealing with the cause. So we say, well, you know, if you had sex last night, you better go in there, and it's unprotected, you need to go in there and get you a, a pill, and you take it, and then you won't get pregnant. Or we're going to spend all this money on research to, to see how to solve these sexually transmitted diseases. And over and over, we solve the symptoms of sin instead of dealing with the cause of sin, the wickedness in our hearts. But God sees this, and God saw this in our nation, and that led to verse 26. For this reason, because of that prior sexual immorality, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Here again, this terrible phrase to hear, God gave them over. When it's talking about your people and your country. And as a result of that wave of sin, God gave them over to degrading passions. Degrading means to dishonor, dishonor, ignominity, disgrace, disgraceful, unnatural, against nature. This is what's going on now. And we have seen since the 90s an open, an onward, an open acceptance of homosexuality. Ending with what? Judicial suppression of the truth. In the case of Oberfell versus Hodges in 2015, where the Supreme Court allowed same-sex marriages in our country. It was a constitutional right, they said. Can you ask, think of one man who signed that Constitution and those ten First Amendments and the people who vote, legislators who voted for it, that would say there's a right in there for same-sex marriage? Not a chance. Because it's a lie. They're suppressing the truth with injustice. You know, there is a president who could have been a good president. His name 
was Dwight D. Eisenhower, but he was the one who appointed Earl Warren Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And you all knew what the Warren Court has did to our nation. Most of these cases I've cited come from the Warren Court, except for Oberfall. And we are seeing that happen to us. And their position is, you want to know what the, the Constitution says? Only takes five votes. And we can tell you what the Constitution is. You give me five votes, and it's whatever we want it to be. That's not the way our republic was designed. And those who are participating in those kind of unnatural acts, what does it say is happening to them? They are receiving in their persons the due penalty of their errors. Now, I started doing some research on this because I wanted to be able to tell you, does, it really, does that really happen? I had to stop halfway through. I couldn't stand it. Uh, it was so wicked and gross and turning my stomach, I couldn't go any farther. But I will give you a list quickly of what happens. This list, though, is not mine. It came from the Gay Lesbian Medical Association. And they found the following effects associated with same-sex sexual practices. Higher rates of HIV and AIDS, substance abuse, depression and anxiety, hepatitis, a host of other sexually transmitted diseases I'm not going to mention, certain types of cancer, alcohol abuse, eating disorders, and obesity. Let's move on. Romans 1.28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, now for the third time, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, trust, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Depraved mind. You look at this word in the Greek, the kaimos, not standing the test rejected. Have you ever seen in a, in a manufacturing plant an assembly line for product checking to see if it meets the qualifications and the standards that they have set for that product? If you're selling cars, you don't want to put a chip in it that doesn't meet the qualifications because it's going to cost somebody a whole lot more money than just picking that chip up out of the line. And they test them. This is the word that this has been tested and rejected. A depraved mind. God's not going to put up with it. He's rejecting those people with that mind. They aren't going to be able to come back. And what we need to understand is this is the most serious part of God. Now, we don't have time to go through all those things. But I picked three that I want us to see. The first one I picked was one didn't seem to fit at first to me. It, 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 you know, here's all these horrible things, and then you say disobedient to parents. That doesn't seem to fit. I was disobedient to parents. Most all of us were disobedient to parents. Some of us wish we had parents to be disobedient to. But the fact is, that's not really what it means. 
It means taking away or abusing parental rights for their children. Not allowing a parent to raise the child the way... Have you heard that in our nation? That's not your child. That's the community's child. That infuriates the Lord God. I didn't give that child to the community. I gave that child to that mother and that father. But that's what's going on in our nation. And it's going to get worse. And it's going to be eventually that if you try to teach your child Christian principles, that child needs to be taken away from you because that's child abuse. And we need to understand that. Now, the next one. I want deceit. Craft, deceit, or guile. I want you to see that one for just a second. Is deceit going on in our nation? It's in our government. It's in our political system. It's in our large corporations. It's in our social media. It's in our television. It's in our movies. It's in our newspaper. It used to be if a national broadcaster were to lie on the evening news, he would be fired. Now they get a Pulitzer Prize. Now I want you to think about this a second in our lifetime. I did an extensive study on this because I wanted to be able to answer it when the time came. Do you remember a police officer by the last name of Wilson who went to arrest a man named Michael Brown, alias Big Mike, in Ferguson, Missouri? Big Mike tried to kill him, take his gun away from him and kill him. And in fact, a number of shots were fired in that gun as a result of Big Mike being able to pull the trigger in the wrestling with that gun. Finally, the police officer got free and Mike charged him and he shot him and he killed him. And what was the story that came out? Oh, that white police officer killed that, man, that young black man when he was standing there with his hands up saying, don't shoot. Execution style, he executed him. Did you not see everybody coming up with this sign? Here we are. Hands up, don't shoot. That was a lie. Well, the, Ferg the county in which Ferguson is located, the district attorney did a thorough research Thorough investigation of that matter. Now, the people outside, what were they doing? They were chanting, no justice, no peace. But what they really meant is, rush to justice, we don't want to hear the evidence. We know enough. Now, that prosecutor took the evidence he had and he presented it to a grand jury, and the grand jury no-billed that officer, Darren Wilson. He, it was not that. He acted in self-defense. And what did the Obama administration say? No, that's not right. I'm sending in my Department of Justice to investigate this matter. And he wrote a long report. And you know what it said? He acted in self-defense. The people who testified before or who claimed to the news media, I saw him, he had his hands up. Well, no, I didn't really see him. Somebody told me that. Who was it? Well, I can't remember. They lied. How much of your money did our government spend to investigate something they called Russian collusion. It was a lie. It never happened. And you lost millions of dollars as and our government was hamstrung by it. It's all about suppression of the truth, deceit. 
because they have a depraved mind and any means are necessary to acquire their end. Now let's look at another one that I want you to see. Haters of God. If you look at these kind of men and women in our nation, they don't just disregard God, say he doesn't exist. They hate him. Why? Because Satan hates him. And Satan hates you, and therefore they hate you. That is what's going on. Now, one more. This one I found to be very interesting. What would these people with a depraved mind doing? They are inventors of evil. Now, I looked this word up. It's ephoretes, and ephoretes can mean you're either discovering or you're inventing. So they're either discovering new types of evil that we didn't know about before, or they're inventing them themselves. Can you imagine that? You would think we have know all the evil there can possibly be by this time in our existence. And no, they're still coming up with new ways to slander God and to participate in evil rebellion to Him. Now, if you've been alive since 1950, or I'm going to say 1951 because that's when I first started living. If you've been alive through then, you have seen with your own eyes this prophecy be fulfilled in our nation. You cannot say, well, God has never judged us. Yes, He has. He's given us over and given us over and given us over. Well, I think we're mostly convinced of that. What should we do? What should we do? I want us to look at a passage that we've heard many times before. And let's examine it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray... And seek their face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, I want you to look about at that for a second. Is that talking about people who are not his? Only the people who are his. Now, some people want to say, that's only talking about Israel. They're wrong. Chris, do you belong to God? So you would be his child? Then aren't you included in my people? I am too. I belong to him. Well, wait. Do you have his name? Are you not called a Christian? What does that mean? Christ in one. This is us. Just because God was speaking in the Old Testament time doesn't mean it has no... This is one book, people. One book. It's written to all of us. You know, when, when Paul was going through this in Romans, there were very few New Testament books. They used the Old Testament. So, first, if my people, that's us, who are called my name, that's us, humble themselves. Do you remember how Ahab humbled himself and God gave him an extra time? You need to think about that. That's what he's talking about. It's the same word. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, wait a second. Are we talking about the non-believers turning from their wicked ways? No, we're talking about believers turning from their wicked ways. So God can use us. I will hear from heaven. So I want to be very specific. I have two very good friends. My best friend is named Julie. One of my other good friends is named Mark. 
And one of the things those two have taught me, because they pray, you know, it's interesting. Julie gave me a devotional book one time, and I loved this book. And mine was wearing out, so she gave me another one of hers to use. And as I started going through this devotional book, I found there were prayers written down in there that she had prayed for. Were they general prayers, Julie? Or were they specific? Absolutely specific. Mark, when he prays, he prays specifically. My mother, when she used to pray, she'd say, don't just ask for that. Ask him what you really want. Tell him. I'd say, why, Mom? So when he does it, you'll know for certain he did it. So, number one. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 9? What did Daniel do to start with? Confess the sins of his people. We need to do that. Well, what are our sins? What would the prophecy say? We know exactly what those sins are. That's number one. Number two, we need to ask for forgiveness. Number three, we need to ask the Lord God to bring a revival, a spiritual awakening to our land. Has he done that before? We need it more now than we've ever needed it. We need it now. Now, getting to more specifics. We need to ask him to raise up a multitude of intercessors in cell groups all across our land, everywhere. So all over America, even in New York City, San Francisco, and Los Angeles and Chicago, there are cell groups praying faithfully and humbly for revival. That's what we need to ask him for. Number five we need to ask him for. We need to ask him to call out a number of courageous and unintimidable prophets who sweep across our land, pointing out sin, proclaiming the judgment of God if we don't repent. We need... How does a person know if they need help? I mean, think about this just a second. You go to the doctor and... He says to you, well, I've checked everything, and you look fine. Great. So I don't need to do anything. No, I think we should do open-heart surgery. Why? Well, just to check. No, we're not checking that way. If he says, I have found blockages in your heart, and if we don't do open-heart surgery, you're going to die in about 10 days, yeah, go at it. You see... This is what we've got to do. We've got to make our people aware of the Well, just because people tell you that that's sin, they're going to become aware. No, if they do it under the power of the Holy Spirit, God can change hearts. And that's what we need to do. So we need to raise up those kind of, pray that God will raise up those kind of prophets. And finally, number six, ask him to raise up an army of evangelists who will share their faith on a personal level and in mass gatherings like Billy Graham would do, who will allow the Holy Spirit to use them to reach hearts and people. If I'm asking you to do this, that doesn't, we should do something today. And so I've asked someone to lead us in such a prayer. Tom, would you come up here? Now, he's coming up here. Go back in your minds to 2 Corinthians seven fourteen. What are we supposed to do? Humble ourselves. Some of you maybe can't do this, but some of you can. I intend, while Tom prays, to kneel. And if you can, do. If not, that's okay. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, Abba, we acknowledge you, Lord, as our God, as our Father. 
as our creator of all heaven and earth and everything in it, you, Lord, are holy, 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 and there is no other God beside you. We acknowledge that we are part of your creation, and we want to bring to you the power and glory you deserve. Lord, we acknowledge that we have done a poor job in doing this, and Lord, we want to change. We want to be known as your children. We want to show the world that there is a king in heaven, and we serve him. So first, Lord, we have to acknowledge to you that we're all sinners. No better than the other heathen that walks the earth and infests our streets. We ask you, Lord, at this time to forgive our sins that we have committed against you and your anointed one. Sins of thought, word, and deed. Please forgive us as we confess our sins at this time. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Now cleanse us and purge us of all our iniquities and transgressions. Father, we pray that your church will awaken to the needs of this world. Our country needs Jesus as never before. We are reminded in Scripture that in time is drawing near for your return, and the church needs a revival like never before. Romans 1 reveals that the time that we are living in is full of sin and lawlessness. Lord, we have come so far from you that we even give our children over to mutilation and the sex trade. Lord, revive your church. Lord, remember that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. That means your church is on the move. Lord, send a Holy Spirit revival to our country. Let us proclaim your holiness to a dying world. Send us forth, Lord, united as one, to raise up a standard, to stand fast against the lies and the wiles of the evil one. For, Lord, you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Father, enlist us to carry forward as prayer warriors in this latter day and for prophets in this latter day. As prayer warriors, Lord, teach us to dress in the full armor of God. Strengthen us so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Remind us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Teach us to be able to stand firm on your word and in your might and in your power. Father, raise up an army of these intercessors to faithfully keep the revival of our country before you. And Father, raise up prophets during this latter day men and women who are not afraid to call out sin and trespass and the judgment to come and are not worried what the world will say. Men and women of a singular mind to point out where this world has blinded the people. And Father, enable us to care for the people who have been blinded by using your word. Remove the blinders that set and set the captives free from the evil one. Break the bonds that hold them. 
set the captives free this morning. Use us, your people, called by your name to bind up the wounded. Father, you are El Shaddai. You are God Almighty. And you are holy, holy, holy. And there is no other besides you, Lord. And we pray that your will be done today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.